with Thanksgiving on our minds and the Thanksgiving meals probably still sitting heavy within us, we come back to this table, God's table, in the midst of this two-part series that we're doing about what it means to be at God's table, both from the perspective of the invitation and then the dining experience itself. So we started last week considering what it means, the invitation to the Lord's table. We looked at a story in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus was invited to a dinner, a special important meal, and some of the observations that he made while he was there and the things that he talked about and taught about when he told them and got to meddling in their business a little bit and said, you know, when you throw a dinner, when you have a meal, don't invite your family or your friends, your influential and important neighbors. Instead, invite the poor, the lame, the hurting, the sick. And then he told them a story about a rich man who threw a feast and invited all of his important friends, and one by one they all turned him down, and so then he extended the invitation to the people in the streets, the marginalized, the forgotten, and invited any and everyone who wanted to come to join him at the feast at the table. And Jesus said that gives us a glimpse of God's kingdom, what it means to be invited to God's table, and then very practically, how we live that out in our lives. So now this week, we're going to turn to the dining experience itself, being at the Lord's table. And really, there's no better way to consider what that means than the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion. It's a meal that we share in the church periodically. And there's a place in the New Testament where one of the New Testament writers, Paul, writes to a church in Corinth about this meal. And so I want to read that for you this morning. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 23 through 34. You can follow along with me on the screens. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. This is why those who eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord inappropriately will be guilty of the Lord's body and blood. Each individual should test himself or herself and eat from the bread and drink from the cup in that way. 
Those who eat and drink without correctly understanding the body are eating and drinking their own judgment. Because of this, many of you are weak and sick and quite a few have died. But if we had judged ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. However, we are disciplined by the Lord when we are judged so that we won't be judged and condemned along with the whole world. For these reasons, my brothers and sisters, when you get together to eat, wait for each other. If some of you are hungry, they should eat at home so that getting together doesn't lead to judgment. And I'll give you directions about the other things when I come. Paul's writing to Corinth about this meal, this communion meal, and says quite a lot. And what we read just there, he starts by saying, I've been handed down this tradition that I've passed on to you. And I don't know about you, but this season of the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's a season of traditions. You, you may have participated in some just this past week, family traditions that go along with Thanksgiving. Like, who cooks what and brings it to the meal? There's maybe somebody in your family that prepares something just so, and everybody loves it, and they're the one who cooks it and brings it. Or... Who carves the turkey? Maybe it's the same person that carves the turkey every year and, like me, butchers it, but does it anyway. Or who sits in what seat at the table by who? Or who naps in a particular chair after the meal? We, we get into our traditions. On the way to a Thanksgiving lunch, my family, the five of us, were in the car, and we just went around the car, and, and everybody said one thing that they're thankful for about each person, each other person in the car. And we just took turns expressing our thankfulness about the people in our family with each other. That's something that we try to do regularly. And I'll tell you, as we look towards Christmas, another tradition that we started uh, when our kids were young is we decided we were going to celebrate Christmas morning. We were going to wake up Christmas morning in our house. And I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but when you've got parents, grandparents, and cousins, and families that like to gather, and you've got traditions, and you know, then you've got that negotiation of where do you go on which days, and who do you celebrate the high holy days with. And, and we just decided, hey, for us, we want our kids to wake up on Christmas morning in our house, just with us as a family. And so we've started that tradition. And it took some getting used to in our family, but it's been worth it, I think. And Paul said, so here's a tradition that I've been handed down from the Lord. And I passed it on to you. He was talking to the church in Corinth, and it's been passed on to us even today. But the tradition he's talking about wasn't, you know, who, who makes the sweet potato souffle or who naps in which recliner. The tradition he was talking about is one of the traditions that's become a sacrament in the church, this communion, sharing in this communion meal together. And, and for us, this sacrament is, is a sign act. It's something that we do and participate in, and we believe and understand that as we do that, we experience the grace of God with us as we participate in this meal that we call communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. And it's a sacrament or a sign act that we believe that we experience God's grace when we do it because Jesus did it, 
Jesus told us to do it, and Jesus promised to meet us when we do. And so in particular, in the Methodist strain of Christianity, communion and baptism are our sacraments, those sacred acts that we participate in, knowing that we'll experience the grace of God. Uh, John Wesley called them means of grace. These are the means by which we know that we experience the grace of God. And there are others, but the sacraments are for sure means of grace. And so in Chapel Roswell, we will celebrate this meal and share in communion regularly, intentionally, because we believe that God meets us here when we do it. But it's not one of those things that's, you know, formulaic and one for one or A plus B equals C. It's, this is, it's really one of the mysteries of our faith as to how and in what way Christ meets us at this table when we dine at the Lord's table and we share in the communion meal. We come in faith looking for Christ looking for God, for the Spirit of God, and we trust that when we do, God meets us here. And so we share in this meal. And for us, it's the bread and the juice, okay? So I don't want to oversell it. If you haven't been here before, and I'm talking meal, it's bread and juice. Sorry. But these, those were the elements in the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples that he specifically lifted up and named and claimed and said, this is my body and this is my blood. That they have significance for us. The bread representing the body of Christ, which was to be broken. And the juice representing the blood of Christ, which was to be shed in his death. And when they celebrated this meal in Corinth, when Paul would have shared this meal with them, or when Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples, it, it, was, it was more of a meal. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a full meal with several courses, all of them with meaning and significance. So it's a little bit different than this. It's more of what we enjoy on Thanksgiving or you know, holidays, a big meal. Uh, it also would be akin to something that is in our Methodist roots, a love feast. Now, the, the love feast is something that started with the early Methodists in the 1700s in England. And, and it wasn't communion. That wasn't a love feast. But a love feast was a meal where they gathered together, they brought food. But the purpose of the meal was for them to celebrate and share how they had experienced God's presence in their lives with each other around the table. It was time for prayer. Sometimes they would sing. And they might have something simple to eat, or it could be a big feast. But the idea of the love feast was not so much the food that you ate, but the love that you shared with each other and the love of God that you celebrated and gave testimony to. We don't really do a lot of love feasts anymore in our tradition. Not, although your, your dinner table can be a love feast. Maybe if you're part of a small group. And you guys have food as a part of your meal or your time when you gather. That, that might be a love feast where you're sharing about what God's done in your lives. And you're praying together and breaking bread together, having 
food as a way to be at the table together with God. A, a feast, a celebration of God's love. But the thing about the feast and the communion that the Corinthians were sharing was Paul was concerned about it. So actually, I started reading about verse 23. If you go back to verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 11, so if you're looking for something to read, I mean, you can go back and start there um, and read that at some other point this week. What you'll find is Paul starts in on them. And he actually says, what I'm about to tell you is not good. I'm about to get critical of your celebration of communion. He says, I got a problem with how you're coming to this meal, to the Lord's table. He said, first of all, there's divisions among you. And then second of all, when you come to the meal, you're not even waiting on each other to eat. You're just gorging yourself. Satisfying your hungers regardless of anybody else. He said, that's not what this meal is about. You're mishandling your celebration of communion. You're not handling it appropriately. He was very concerned about them handling the meal appropriately. not the same kind of appropriate, but I, I can't imagine the countless time and energy that my parents spent on me trying to make sure that I handled meals appropriately. And for any parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles in the room, how much time and energy have we invested in the kids in our lives to make sure they handle meals appropriately? Right? Like, put your napkin in your lap. Don't put your elbows on the table. Don't reach across other people to get something. Use your knife and fork, please, <laughs> and not your hands. Wait till everybody has their food before you dive in. We, we make a big deal about Handling the meal appropriately. See, Paul saw how they were participating in this meal, how they were dining at the table, and he said, I, I think you're missing the point. First of all, there's divisions among you. You're at odds with each other in your community of faith. You've got things that you're holding against each other. You've got things that prevent you from even talking to each other or having civil discourse or any kind of relationship. And yet you're coming to the table of the Lord with that in your heart.
Paul said, this is a meal of unity. You can't hold things against each other and come to the table that embodies the forgiveness and the mercy of God. We celebrate this meal because Jesus gave his life for you and me. We each come to this meal receiving the grace and forgiveness of God for anything that we've done, for anything about us that gets in the way of our relationship with God or with each other. Jesus gave his life so we could be free from all that and it would not be counted against us or held against us. And we come to this meal to celebrate that. You can't come to this meal to celebrate that holding something against somebody. This meal brings us together, unites us. I read somewhere this week that that, that's one of the scandals of Christianity is that Jesus unites us all together. And my God, in a world where we've got all the options for reasons and ways to be divided, to be pitted against each other, to compete, to argue and disagree, this meal, this table brings us together makes us one in spite of and above any of our differences of opinions or perspectives or experiences. I mean, look, even Georgia and Georgia Tech fans can come to this meal together. Even Auburn and Alabama fans can come to this table. I don't know that Georgia and Auburn fans can come just yet. <laughs> we got business we haven't handled. I'm kidding. I mean, there's, there's so much that divides us. What a testimony to the goodness of God that we can be one above and beyond our differences. That we can be one in the forgiveness and in the mercy and in the love of God. And that's what happens when we come to this table. Now, the other thing that Paul pointed out to him is that they were eating their own meal and not waiting for other people. And some of that relates to the way they celebrated this meal. You brought food. I mean, it was kind of like a potluck, but a big one. But people were coming and eating their own food, regardless of what other people had or didn't have, or if they were there yet or not. In fact, I said, if you go back and read earlier, one of the things Paul said is, some of you go hungry while others of you get drunk. And, And what he means is others of you just engage in excess and and overindulge yourselves while others don't even have anything to eat. That's why in in what I read in those few verses, he says, man, if you're hungry, eat something at home so that you can come to the table of the Lord without feeling like you've got to get yours. And he said, If you come to the table of the Lord, wait on each other. Just like our parents taught us. Wait until everybody has their food before you eat. What Paul's getting at is the compassion that's in this meal. 
the compassion of God for you and for me that God puts inside of us for each other. That we don't, we don't come running up here to get ours. We don't approach this table that way and we don't approach life that way. It, it took a while for me, but they, they taught me. You don't get to come back for thirds and fourths if people haven't even had their firsts or seconds. And eventually I understood that. And that's maybe one thing to say it about communion and you're thinking, okay, the bread and the juice. But if we then understand the, the bigger context of the kingdom of God and the table of God being our lives, that we live with one another at the table then what does it mean that we don't go running for thirds and fourths when people haven't even had their first or seconds yet? <laughs> I heard in a talk one time, if you're giving back, maybe you took too much. Because God has invited us to a table where everybody would have plenty and more than enough. And the compassion of God means that we would make sure that everybody has what they need. And not just worry about our own stuff and our own selves. So Paul's like, how do you come to the table of the Lord getting all you can get with no concern about other people? And whether they have even what they need to not be hungry. And it's another message of unity that we are all in this together. We're all at this table together. We're all in this life together. I'll be honest, it's, it's one of the challenges we face in Christianity today, particularly in America, because we've personalized so much our relationship with God and with Jesus as our personal Savior that we lose sight of the fact that God sent Jesus to save the world. Not just me. And we run the risk of, of turning this invitation into a, an invitation to salvation for a bunch of individualized me coming together. Versus an invitation for salvation for all. All of creation and for everyone everywhere. That we're in this together. And so Paul said, this is a tradition that was handed down to me from the Lord. And I've handed it down to you. And we continue to participate in this tradition, in this sacrament. And Paul reminded them, when you come to the table, don't, don't come bearing the grudges and the grievances and the divisions. Maybe bring those with you to the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and say, Jesus, if you can forgive me, if you can give your life to make mine whole, then I can forgive. Then I can let go of whatever divisions are separating me from others. And he, he said, don't, don't come to the table 
gorging yourself. Be attentive to the needs of the people around you and make sure everybody has. And and so as we come to this table, this table of unity that brings us all together, we can come with that spirit. That there's no division that exists that can separate us from each other, not in the face of Jesus, not in the presence of his body and his blood. And there's nothing inside of us that would stir up or prompt us to go our own way and get our own thing and and forget about other people that can outweigh and overpower Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and on behalf of everyone. And so as we come to this table today to share in this meal, may it be a meal of unity that brings us all together. Communion in unity is community. That this could be a community, a body of Christ. Not just for us, not just for me, but for everyone everywhere. So I want to ask the people who are going to help to serve in the meal if they would come down now. And what we're going to do in just a minute is... um, Andrea and I will serve all the people who are going to assist in serving communion. And then they'll take bread and juice and go to four spots on the floor here so that they can serve you. And you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to share in this meal. If I may, for just a minute, I think that's another way that this scripture has been misused. I've heard it. People say, well, you're not supposed to come if you don't understand, and not supposed to come if you don't come rightly, and not supposed to come if you haven't tested yourself. Well, and so we put that up before you can come to the table, and it's reversed. If you read it, Paul invited people to the table, and then he said, hey, listen, here's what's going on. You got these divisions amongst you. You're not looking out for one another. You need to check yourself as you come to the table. But the invitation came first, and then it was as you come, Be mindful of how you come and come in the spirit of the Lord. Sometimes this scripture gets used to tell people, hey, if you don't think right or believe right, then you can't come. that's, That's not how we do it here. This is God's invitation. This is the invitation of Jesus to you and to everyone to come and meet him here. So I hope you hear that invitation for you. Jesus is inviting you to come and meet him here at the table. And so we'll share in this meal by intinction, which means when you come, somebody will break off a piece of bread and hand it to you, and then you take that bread and you dip it in the cup, and in that way receive the bread and the juice together, the body and blood of Christ. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you, you got something this morning that you want to spend a minute praying about and even with someone. We have folks who've offered to do that, to be available and willing to pray with you. And they'll be by the stained glass windows back here behind me on either side. So after you receive the meal or before, whatever, if you'd like someone to pray with you, there'll be folks there that'll do that. But as we're sharing the meal, we're going to sing. 
And then after that, it's also your time to give back to God. So your offering or your tithe, this is the time that we do that. The ways that you can do that are up there on the screen. This is just one way that we say thank you to God and we participate in the work of God's church here and all over the world through the United Methodist Church. So as you come and share in communion, as you sing, you also are welcome to give as you feel led. And just a couple of um, logistical instructions, please. There'll be four stations on the floor right here, bread and juice. The folks who are in the balconies, I I invite you to come down to the floor, and, and if you want to come to this section here or this section here. And when you, when you come out to receive, we'll just start in the front row and work our way back. And if you'll come out to your left and then make a loop, come by, get the bread, the juice, and then go back to your seat on the right. That should help the flow of things. We'll have a station back here by this column that will be gluten-free and vegan. And so if, if that's what you desire, I just invite you to head to the back wall and go all the way around and you can receive the gluten-free and vegan elements there. But first, Andre and I will serve the servers and then they'll go to their places and we'll invite you to come. Would you pray with me? We'll pray God's blessing over this meal. God, we thank you for this holy meal that it's bread and it's juice but in your hands, it's the body and blood of Jesus. The sacrifice that covered all of our brokenness, all of our sin. It made the way through Jesus for life. Real, full, whole life. God, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to your table that goes out to all of us. May we extend your invitation to everyone everywhere. Thank you for the experience of dining at your table where we receive forgiveness and mercy that tears down any wall, any barrier between us and you, between us and each other, and that we're united together in you. God, thank you for your compassion for us you would give yourself for us and the compassion that you give us for one another so that we don't go into this life and go to the table getting all that we can get and never mind anyone else. But they would be mindful. We would be mindful of everyone having all they need. So God, we ask your blessing for this bread and this juice that you would make it be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by his blood. This is our prayer together in the name of Jesus. Amen.